The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Apollos, whoever wrote the book, right, is going to start to give us another turn. And now he's talking specifically to those who have come to know Christ. These are the things that accompany or or, or belong to salvation. If you're a Christian here today, you ought to see these traits in your life in an ever-increasing way. Not always perfectly, not always it'll be five steps back and seven forward, but you should see these should you be in Jesus Christ. Let's read them together. Verse 9 down to verse 12. The Bible says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we still feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And verse 11, we desire each of you to show the same earnestness or diligence to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and through patience inherit the promises. You see there at the end of verse 13, he's already kind of calling out Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. We'll get there sometime in next year probably, but we will get there. But if you're a Christian here today, I pray this encourages you. I pray you see these verses as what we saw against last week and you say, yeah, I don't have these all perfectly down, but I see God forming these and growing these and enlivening these within my own life. And that's what it's about this morning. God is good, isn't he? He is a good and gracious God. Let's pray to him this morning. We'll get started with our sermon officially. Lord, as we come to you, may these be seen in all of our lives as Christians. Father, if there is someone here who is doubting whether they are in Christ, may today be the day, not because of the preacher's words or not because of the sermon outline, but the Spirit witnessing to them their spirit that they are a child of God, as Romans 8 says. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this today in his name, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, it was a story of a woman who was going on a train and she was trying to get to St. Louis. Let's just pretend she was coming from Kansas City. And there's a lot, if you've ever been to a train station before, you know there's a lot of trains. And as we experienced a few weeks ago, if you've been in a subway system, you're not sure which way you're trying to get on or which way to go. She got her ticket, she got on the train, but boy, was she a nervous wreck. Do I have the right train? Am I on the right train? She didn't want to go the wrong way to St. Louis from Kansas City. So she turned to the lady next to her and she said, excuse me, is this the right train to St. Louis? And the lady said, well, yes, ma'am, this is the right train to St. Louis. She felt great. She's feeling confident. She's feeling good. And she sat down, but she started having doubts again. Am I really headed to St. Louis? So she turned to the man beside her and said, sir, is this the train to St. Louis? And the man said, yes, ma'am. This train is going straight to St. Louis the fastest way possible. And she felt a little better, but the man didn't look too smart, so she didn't feel too confident after that. So the lady once again found her questioning, do I really know where I'm headed to St. Louis? And just that moment, the conductor came through, and the lady pulled on him, 
and said, sir, is this the train? Am I on the right train? And she said, ma'am, come with me. And for the rest of the train, she rode in the front pilot seat or the driver's seat, if you will, to make sure she felt confident that she was headed to where? St. Louis. And then she fell asleep, by the way, is how the rest of the story went. But look, hearing from the person next to her was not enough, was it? She, it wasn't. That smart man wasn't enough. Even hearing from other people was not enough. She had to hear from the conductor herself to know that she was on the right train, so to speak. And sometimes when you're talking about salvation, sometimes when you're talking about whether you know for sure that you are a Christian, that's how you feel. You go and talk to this person. You go and talk to that person. You even go talk to the pastor. Then you really come away confused thinking, am I really a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? And that's what it is. But when the conductor himself, when Jesus himself says, I guarantee you that you have eternal life because you've put your total faith in me, you can be like that woman in the front seat of that train and feel so confident you can fall asleep because you know for sure that you are in Christ. Psalm 37. If you do not underline a lot of things, this is one you might. Psalm 37, verse 28, it'll be up on the screen. It says, for the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. That'll be up on the screen for you, I think, to see at that point. But faith alone saves. Faith alone saves. Hello. Can you hear me now? Okay. I don't know if you could hear me before, but can you hear me now? Thank you, Pastor Nelson. What I want you to know today, church, is that faith alone saves, but faith by itself alone is not saving faith. It always brings certain things with it. And that is, is that salvation is the root, and these things that come with salvation are the fruit. You saw that in verse 9. Look, as you look at your life, as these Hebrew Christians looked at their lives, do you know for sure that you have this confidence? It's not raising a hand. It's not walking an aisle. It's not, as one brother said in a story last week, writing your name on a stake in the backyard and burying it. So every time you, you feel not confident that you're in Christ, you dig it up and you look at it and say, oh yeah, I got saved and baptized on that date. Those are human markers. To know that you're in Christ goes far deeper. It's something only God can do and something he gives supernatural evidence for. So can I ask you today, how do you know that you're truly in Christ? Are you trusting in him alone? Does your style of life reflect once and for all a desire to be like him? And that is the big idea today. Our changed lives, our sanctification are the clear evidence of our being right with, our, with God, our justification, and the confident assurance with him that one day we will be with him forever. You know, how do you know that you're saved? Can I just give you a couple things here before we get started? First off, you know that the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord are what? Shall be saved. If you believe that you're saved and you've truly called upon the name of Jesus, you should have full assurance of what the Bible says about you. Secondly, the sufficiency of Christ's death, that when he died, it's finished. He paid it in full. You don't have to try and go rile up some religious experience to make you feel more saved. I mean, I, as a youth, I always felt saved every year when I went to summer camp. The music was blaring, the lights were on, the lights got dim, and you know, it got serious. I felt saved because I was in an atmosphere, not because I trusted Christ. You also can know because the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. He witnesses to your spirit that you're a son or daughter of God, Romans 8. And I think the one that's gonna be talked about today, you have a changed life. 
truly your life has changed. If you know Jesus, your life is gonna look a whole lot different than it did before. Look, there are no secret service Christians. There are no lone ranger Christians. A Christian will desire to be around God's people because they don't wanna be around other people that aren't like him. They wanna be around people that are like him because they desire that to be. But the writer of Hebrews is gonna talk about that last one, a changed life. Seven things this morning, and they are quick points. But I want you to look at this. And if you are here today and you're doubting your salvation, if you've ever doubted your salvation, I want you to know that's a pretty normal thing. But I also want you to know that the word of God wants to reassure you that even though it's a normal thing, you can know once again that you're in Christ. You know, and most people overseas never doubt their salvation. I won't say it doesn't happen. When you talk to most missionaries, I actually talked to one of our missionaries, Luke, who's preaching um, uh, at another church this morning. And I asked him over uh, uh, coffee this week, I said, do you find that Christians in India struggle with assurance of their salvation? You know what his answer to me was? He said, actually, they don't. I found that quite interesting. I, he didn't expound on it. You can ask him when he gets back in, uh, with us the next couple Sundays. But I want you to think about that. We Americans love to do it ourselves, don't we? Even when it comes to things like reassuring ourselves of salvation. But I want you to know everything that's gonna happen here is a work of God in your life. So let's get to it this morning. Seven necessary signs of true salvation. Remember, he's contrasting the people who have not come to Christ in the first part of chapter six. Now he uses that word. Do you see it there in verse nine? He says, but beloved, do you have that there? This is a, a term of endearment. If you have a woman in your life that is motherly or is your wife, guys, today, this is a word. I'm giving you a freebie here. I'm not charging you for this. Go up to them and say, hey, my what? Beloved. Say that word. It's a term of endearment. And he tells them here, beloved literally means a believer in Christ. And what he's saying is, is, that, is that there are better things to come. If you're in Jesus, there are better things that are to come. These are going to come with you. It's kind of like when you order a pizza. You expect there to be cheese on it or sauce, or you expect there to be a crust unless you order a weird pizza. That's another thing. <laughs> if you buy a car, you expect there to be a steering wheel and tires and an engine unless you go to an auto salvage yard. When you buy something, you expect to get what you bought. And when you're a Christian, verse 9 tells you there's going to be some things that are expected to come with the package of being a Christian. And so he says these things. The New American Standard, I think, hits it well. These are things that accompany, verse 9, or are brought along with salvation. It's literally an echo. When you go into a cave and say, hello, 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 it echoes. These things that are going to be listed are like an echo in a Christian's life. They follow them around because this is what God is working in every Christian that is truly his. Number one is this, is work. The first necessary sign is work. Notice verse six, the first part of verse six. He says, for God, verse 10, excuse me. He says, but God is not unjust as to overlook your work. And you can cut it right there. Look, you are not saved by what you do, but what you do shows that you are really saved. Amen? You know that to be true. The clarification here is that faith without works is dead. James 2, 17. We are saved to serve. We are called in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith in Ephesians 2, 10 unto work. 
Well, what is this work? It's the works that Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared for you in advance to do. God has laid out for you, Christians, certain things in your life, people, places, things that you are to do for him to bring him glory, to share the gospel, and grow you in your faith. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, there is a work that is produced by faith. God is working in you to give you a new desire for everything that is happening in your life. But notice what he says here. When you're doing the work of God, sometimes you wonder, does anyone ever see me? Am I the only one here? Am I just doing this to do this? But notice what it says. As you work for God, it says God is not unjust to forget you. Aren't you grateful for that? Your boss may forget those extra few hours you put in at the office or the plant or wherever you were. But if you're a Christian, God doesn't forget ever anything. He records it all down. And you want your life to count for something. You want, you, you want to be more aware of God. You want, you, you want not to need credit for your life. You want your heart to be filled to overflowing. But sometimes we need to be reminded that as you work out your salvation, God is watching. So if you're here at church sometime and you're cleaning a toilet and no one knows that you clean that toilet just for them, guess what God does? If you're doing something for the kingdom of God and God doesn't come down and pat you on the back and no one else does, God does. And someday he will reward you as such. Christian, I wanna remind you this morning that every Christian is a minister. We believe that. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. It's an old phrase that means that every Christian is called to serve in the ministry. Maybe not formally as a pastor, but every one of us has a ministry. Your ministry might be your kids. It might be your grandkids. It might be your office or your, your assembly line. But every one of us is called to work for God in the way and the place and the shape and the form that he calls us to. When you are saved, you are serving on the front lines. And do you want to know what a lost church looks like? A lost church is a place where you just check in and check out. And you don't think anything else about anyone else in that church. You ever been part of one of those churches before? We call them country club churches. You literally punch in, you punch out, you go home, we'll see you next Sunday. But one who is truly saved wants to invest their lives in one another. That may take time, that may take awkward conversations, that may take uh, getting to know people, but a person who is truly saved says, God, whatever it is, I wanna do it because it's not for me, it's not even for these people. Ultimately, it's for you, and that's what your life is all about. Christian, have you lost that perspective? Have you lost everything that God said? And Amy will put this up on the screen. But both our works, both us and our works, shout this one thing. Salvation is of the Lord. That's Jonah 2.9. And I put this in there to kind of explain it in my own simple language. It's one jumbo grace work. Go say that a few times. That God has prepared us to walk in and be ready to show that we're his. In other words, you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, amen? But your life also shows that you are saved. And in doing so, you shout, I'm not saved by what I do, but I love God so much. By what I do, I wanna show that I'm saved because salvation is of the Lord. Now, I know there are people, there are Christians who are fruit checkers. They have the official badge, you know, that says I'm a fruit checking Christian. If you're not showing the signs of salvation, I'm here to tell you you're not a Christian. I want you to know that's something God does. But Christian, if you have no desire to serve God or serve others, can I, can I just lay this out to you? You may not really know Jesus. 
If that is the pattern of your life, no, not a one-time-off thing. We've all been in those places where God puts someone on your heart and your mind, and you don't want to pick up the phone, you don't want to knock on the door, you don't want to see him at church. I'm not talking about that. But if this is a pattern of your life, and you say, I don't want to have anything to do to help other people, be very careful, because you may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can do work for God, but the second point we're getting ready to go to shows something else. The first one is work. That's a sign of salvation. The second is love. Now, you can work all day, but without love, it's just like a sounding gong, isn't it? A sounding cymbal. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, not only if you're truly in Christ, are you working for God, but you're also loving the people that you're working towards or for. He says at the end of verse 10, he says, and the love you shown in for or for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Guys, I cannot say this again. There are so many Christians who hate being around other Christians. How is that, how is that possible? What if Patrick Mahomes got in the huddle in October and said, I hate you, offensive lineman. Wide receiver, you're worthless. Go out, get out of here, fullback. I don't need you. Okay. And the next thing you know, he's in the hospital in a coma. He's got piled on with 1,000 pounds of flesh on him. The next thing, those guys left. It's ridiculous. Or a person who shows up after band camp, the first summer of band camp, and they show up to play at the first game, they haven't practiced, they haven't walked in line, they haven't done anything with the team, but I'm here, I showed up. I don't want to be around those people, I just want to do a solo over here. Look, if you hate other Christians, then you do not know Jesus Christ. If you hate being around other Christians, you may not know Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here. There is an increasing love for God, but there's also an increasing love for other people, especially those of the household of faith. Now, I'm going to put a time out here. You can really get hurt in church. People can hurt your feelings. You can feel awkward. You can feel lonely. You can feel like no one cares for you. That happens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who say they love the body of Christ, but have nothing and want to do with the body of Christ. It's called morbid sanctity. Sabbath, oh, I can't get it out. It's called Morbus Sabbathus. Do you have that? It's where you get sick every time about the time the start of church happens every week. You eat a hearty breakfast, you're great. But man, when church time comes, you all, oh, I just can't do it. And then you perk up after lunch and you go on with the rest of your week and no doctor can diagnose it. But by golly, you can't be around other people who love Christ. Look, do you see that you love other Christians as much as he says here? If you don't desire the presence of other Christians, you may not desire the presence of Christ himself because Christ said he will build his church. And it happens right here at the local level. So Christian, I wanna ask you today, do you have a growing desire to serve other people at this church or the other Christians in the name of Christ? Or are you just okay with where you're at? Amy, I'll put this up. But when you're secure in Jesus and you really know you're in him, it enables you to need less and love more. The world says, follow your heart, but Jesus says, follow me. The world says, love yourself, but Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. The world says, believe in yourself. Hello, Joel Osteen. But Jesus says, believe in me. The more you are loving the saints, the more you are proving the work of God is real in your life, the more you are able to need less and love people more, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever they are, especially in the body of Christ. 
but I cannot tell you how many Christians who claim the name of Jesus want nothing to do with other Christians the rest of the week. But yeah, they want their name on a membership role, or yeah, they want their name in the church, but they don't want to be around other Christians. Friends, that is the most contradictory. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. I can't love my wife and hate my wife at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Or I might be staying on one of your couches pretty soon. If you love Jesus, there will be the work of God and the love of God. But notice number three, there's also a diligence that comes, a diligence. Your Bible may have earnestness, uh, same word. I picked the D word because it's one that I know better, but it's the same thought. Look at verse 11. Not only that God works in your life, not only that God is showing love to other people through you, but there's a diligence. He says in verse 11, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness or diligence. What is diligence? Diligence is kind of uh, diligence is kind of like that snail that got on Noah's ark. Can you imagine the head start God gave that thing to get there? Perseverance is the snail, Spurgeon said, getting to Noah's ark. That is perseverance. We desire that each of you show what? What is this diligence? He's saying to them, look, we desire that each of you show the work and love of God, that you desire to serve other people, to love other people, that you are not like the world, that you only do those things because you get something from those things. You do it most of all because you love me. When you are saved, you want to serve God, and there's such short time left that you can't just but get out there for God. You know, a lot of churches, they start at 11 o'clock sharp and they end at 12 o'clock dull because that's their relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're saved, you want to reach kids. You want to be diligent for your neighbors, your coworkers. You don't want to live on the sidelines. You are John 9, 4, what Jesus said, the night is coming when no one can work. If you're in Christ, you, it'll flicker at times. It'll, it'll fan flames at different intensity at times, but your heart of hearts wants to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. Is that you today, Christian? If you have no desire for Christ or his people, check your salvation, because 2 Peter 1.10 says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. And 1 John will tell you that if you hate your brother, you also hate God. And if you hate God, you don't believe in Jesus Christ. There's a diligence. We desire each of you to have the same diligence of following after Christ. And what that means for you practically is that the entire Christian life your entire Christian life, this will be on the screen, should be a diligent confirmation that we belong. Oh, I got the wrong one. That's, that should not be up there. I will tell you what it is. You have your thing. I forgot to change that over. I changed it last minute this morning. That's, that's on me. It should be this, the diligent, the entire Christian life. Entire is the first blank if you're taking notes. Entire, entire. And then the last blank there should be also you uh, diligent confirmation, diligent confirmation. Entire is the first blank, confirmation is the second. How many people do you know that started out the Christian life like a rocket, but then they start to futter out when things get hard? Been there? If you're in Christ, you will want your entire life to be focused on one thing, and that is Christ. Your life is a confirmation that he is working in you. The entire Christian life is to be a diligent confirmation that we belong to Christ. Number four, notice the, the middle of chapter, or verse 11. And this is where many of you maybe camped your eyes. Verse 11 says, to have full assurance of hope. To have full assurance of hope. What is he talking about here? There is an assurance that comes with Christ. This full assurance of hope. Look, everyone who is born again is indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's how you know you're in Christ. 
It's not because a pastor told you you were saved, an evangelist, or a Sunday school teacher. We may doubt it at times, but I want you to look back at verse 11. Look at your Bible. You should have the word or something like it, full assurance. Can you imagine a God who says, yeah, I'm going to save you, but I'm not sure I'm going to keep you. Or I really like you. You're good. I'm going to hang on to you for a while in case I need anything. What kind of crazy God is that? What kind of God would save you and not let you know that you're saved? What kind of God would love you and not tell you that you're loved forever and ever, past, present, and future, no matter what? Look, someday you're going to doubt your salvation. Even as an older Christian, especially some of you of an age, I'm not going to say what age that is, all right? I'm not getting in trouble today for that. But some of you have an age of your life where you're getting to your moonlight years, your golden years, and you start to doubt little by little everything you've believed. Is this really true? Is this really myself? But he says he wants you to realize the full assurance of hope. He wants you to know. And you know what? You're here today, and I want to tell you something. I'm grateful that we preach the word. I'm not patting ourselves on the back. But when you sit under the preaching of God's word, your assurance ought to go up every week that you sit under the preaching of God's word because you know that it's being taught to you the word of God. Do you know where most people who doubt their salvation come from? They come from weak pulpits with weak preachers who talk weakly about a mighty, strong, awesome God. Weak pulpits create weak, unassured Christians. Strong pulpits, by God's grace, prayerfully will create strong, assured Christians. Now, let me be clear. Just because you sit under the word of God doesn't mean you won't doubt your salvation. But the more you sit under it, the more you're going to want to believe it because you know it to be true. Two things this morning. I get these from J.D. Greer, former president of Southern Baptist Convention. He has a book out there if you want to read it called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Ooh, that'll cut a Baptist quick to the knees, won't it? Stop asking Jesus into your heart. How many people do you know have come up every other year and prayed, oh, Lord Jesus? And the pastor says, oh, Lord Jesus. They say, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. And like a parrot, they pat it back. You are not saved by parroting in a prayer. You're saved by Jesus Christ. But here's two things he said in that book. The first is this, don't feel your way into your beliefs. Let your believe your way into your feelings. And no, that is not Joel Osteen garbage. Your feelings are fickle, aren't they? If you trust your feelings as your guide, we will head for disaster. The fact that Jesus died for you and resurrected is the fact that you need to tell your feelings. The fact is, is that Jesus saved you. The fact is, you may doubt your salvation. The fact is, is that you may not feel saved, but the feelings are the fruit of faith, not the source of it. So when your feelings waver, retreat to the stronghold of your faith. Keep believing the gospel. Sir, ma'am, have you truly repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ? And is there an ongoing evidence in your life that he is at work? If the answer is yes, then you're on the right path. If you say, I don't see God working in my life, then the question would be, did you ever truly get saved? Or are you at a place where you need to repent and trust and confess your sin to God? Look, no matter how you feel, no matter how hot or cold your love, the answer is always the same. Exercise your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. If your feelings drove your faith, a lot of us are gonna be in a lot of trouble pretty quickly. Second thing is this. 
he said in his book. He said, your present posture is better proof than a past memory. Your present posture is better proof than a past memory. Now, when I say that word posture, some of y'all are going back a few years when you had to sit like in a chair at a certain way, at a certain angle. It's not what we're talking about here. Or honey, sit up. He uses an example in his book. He says, it's like when you first got saved, it's like you sat down in a chair. And I'm gonna use this as a physical example. When you get saved, it's like you sit down in a chair and that's your salvation. And he says, when you come to Christ, this is your posture. You're in the chair. You've been saved. But if you've gone back and you've said all these things, well, well, I, 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 I got up for a while. I walked away. I went this way. I went that way. I went this way. I went that way. But I never sat back down on the chair. Greer would argue, and I believe the Bible would argue, that your past does not prove that you're currently saved. In other words, if you are a Christian, you are going to be in one spot the rest of your life. You're in his grip and he will not let you go, but you are going to grow as a result of that. There are times you're going to want to sneak away from the chair. There are times you're going to want to walk around and kind of kick the chair and be like, I don't want this anymore. But if you're truly in Christ, your posture is going to be like one seated down, seated, because you know you've been saved. As friends, a lot of us, a lot of us will look back and say, but I did this, I did this, I did that. Aren't you grateful that God loves you so much he's forgiven your past? If you're doubting your salvation today, the author of Hebrews says you can have full assurance that you know Christ and it starts with the fact that you know for sure that he died for you, he resurrected, and he is your savior. That's what he says. It's number four. Number five, how do you know you're in Christ? What are the signs of salvation? There is perseverance. Look at the end of verse 11. You might have a different phrase here, but the end of verse 11 says, until the end. Notice that. If you're an underliner, don't miss this. He says at the end of verse 11, how do you know you're in Christ? Because you will be with him when? Until the end. Well, when's the end gonna happen, pastor? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, is that perseverance of the saints is a real thing. We believe the Bible says this, Christian. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? Once saved, what? Cut that out of your vocabulary. Once saved, always persevering. Say that with me. Once saved, always persevering. Because if you tell someone, once you get saved, you're good forever, what are they going to do if they're not really saved? They're going to walk around and say, I'm a Christian. I know Christ, but I don't know. I mean, I can go run amok. I don't need to do anything. I, I, got, I got my Jesus flu shot, Pastor. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Woo! Are you awake now? Because you realize most people on church rolls, that's exactly what they're doing. One time in their lives, they prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, signed a card, raised their hand, did whatever they had to do. They got their name on a roll. They think themselves saved. That's not what he says here. If you are truly a Christian, you are saved one time, amen? You don't need to be saved over and over and over and over again. He saved you once for all, but he also keeps you preserving until the end. God wants to give you a Ferrari, not a Model T, of your salvation. Don't sell it out. You are eternally secure from start to finish. The Lord was with you in the beginning and will be with you till the end. But there's also an ongoing pursuit of holiness in your life. Look, temptation is real. The cooling off of your faith in seasons of life is real. But if you know the Lord, the same God that will save you, will convict you of sin and draw you back to him. See Hebrews 12. 
Hebrews 3 says, if we hold fast our confidence until the end. Hebrews 3.14 says, if we are partakers, if we hold fast until the end. How do you know that you're always preserving and you've once been saved is that you desire Christ even when you cool off. Amy will put this up there. But I want you to know that divine tension is here, isn't it? The saints, the Christians, remember a saint is not someone who died, did three miracles, and a human board decided that they were a super special Christian. A saint is anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. That's why when Paul writes to the saints of fill-in-the-blank church, he didn't, they didn't have to die and wait 200 years before they got that letter. They got it when they were alive. The point is, he will hold you until the end, and you cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, always persevering. And the saints persevere, we persevere in our faith because God persists in his faithfulness. Do you see that tension here? You are to work with love. You are to work with, with, with grace, with diligence. You're to work uh, with full assurance. You're to work with all these things. But, but also on the same side, he who began a good work in you will not let you go until the day of redemption. That divine tension between sovereignty and human responsibility but I want you to know, if you're truly a Christian, God will never lose any of his. I've told you last week, I'll tell you again. I lost my keys this week, again. I wish I had one of those cool GPS things you put on there so you could find them right away. But if you've ever been in the parking lot and thought, what block did I park in? If you've ever wondered where you put your deodorant in the morning or where, whatever it is that you forget on the way to church, your kids sometimes or your husband or your whatever, God will never forget you. He's holding you because he does so until the end. Amen? And I want you to know this. He's not gonna snuff you out like the annihilist. And, and, and some people believe that once you, you get to heaven, he's just gonna get bored with you, and, or in hell, he'll just, you know, you're with him forever and ever. What a great, glorious position that is. Number six, look at verse 12. We'll read this again. If you got your Bible, look back at verse 12. Last two quick points here. He says in verse 12 that so... So that's a, that's a continuation of thought. You can have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. You may not be sluggish. Because you know what? If you don't know what your young people today, I, I did this when I was growing up. We, we did DTR. Do you know what that is? Define the relationship. D, if you talk to a young person, all three young men, Aaron, Lane, and Tom, who just got married within the last four months. That was my first question to him. Did you DTR? Did you define the relationship? You're not stringing this young lady along, are you? You're actually, you have a purpose. You're, gonna, you're trying for marriage. And well, it worked out pretty well for him, didn't it? But you know what? He says you don't need to DTR with God every time you step into church. The hope here is, is that you would not be sluggish. Do you know what happens when you don't know where you are with God? Who cares if I go to church? Who cares if I read the Bible? Who cares if I share the gospel? Who cares if I grow in holiness? Because I'm not even sure I'm his, so why would I want to be? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. The reason the Bible gives you these signs is so that you will know there will be times of sluggishness in your life, but to do so remembering that if you're in him, you're fully assured of your salvation. There is motivation to continue on. And so I want you to know number six is this faith. Number six is faith. And Amy, you can go ahead and put up the next thing. So you're here today. There are two types of listeners here today. 
There are those of you who are alert and wake and drinking in the word of God. There are those of you who are here today who are hearing with your ears, but you don't hear. You're seeing the things on the screen, but you don't see spiritually speaking. And so to hear the word of God and not do it is worse than to not hear it at all. Christian, this morning, this word sluggishness is the same word used in other places. It means dull. It means, look, if you're really in Christ, your faith will feel like blah sometimes. It will. That's an honest reality of the Christian life. But your motivation to get back on track will be heightened, will be brought back because you know that your faithlessness has not taken away his faithfulness. That even when you doubt, he still loves you. Even when you're struggling, he's got your back. Even when you think Jesus should walk on the other side of the highway and tisk at you and look at you with shoulders like this, he doesn't, he takes you back. He couldn't love you anymore. And sometimes it's gonna take faith to see that because you're gonna see the sluggishness of your faith But I want to remind you this morning that if you know Christ, you look to him and him alone. Church, Pastor Darren cannot complete you. Pastor Brian cannot complete you. Pastor Nelson cannot complete you. Husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids cannot complete you. Single, your whatever cannot complete you. Widow, widower, whatever you are today, no one in this life can complete you. Only Christ can. Your identity is in him. So he says, if you are walking with Christ, you may be sluggish. That's the negative example. But look at the last one. There's patience. If you're in Christ, there is patience. He says, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What is the promise? The promise is is that he won't leave you. The promise is is that everything he says is true. The promise is, is that what he gives you is exactly what you need. Who are these imitators? Well, Paul said it this way. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Be an imitator of me. Join me in following my example. 1 Thessalonians 1, be imitators of us in the Lord so you can become an example. Look, if you wanna know what it means to walk with Christ, you also need to know there's patience in growing in Christ and you need to look to other believers for that. I love this church because we have growing believers in Jesus Christ all around us. Some of y'all are older, some of y'all are a lot younger. I'm not filling the blank of who's old and who's young. You figure that out yourselves. The point is, if you're here today, who is it that you're looking towards to grow in your faith? What brother or sister in your life is there with you that you can imitate through faith and patience as you wait for the coming promise? If you're here and you don't have that connection, then pray that God would raise that up for you. Some of the greatest Examples of walking with Christ are right here in this building. Some of y'all are going through things most people don't know about, but God does. And you can be an example to somebody else. What is faith though? Faith is trusting God first for salvation. It's looking to him. And there are lives worth emulating wherever you go, wherever Christ is proclaimed. But I want you to also know there is patience that is needed. As we look at and imitate the faith of other Christians, we also need their patience. How often do young Christians get in trouble because they get impatient with God working in people's lives? So often young Christians, especially young, bold Christians, will go up and just ream someone because they have not come to know Jesus Christ. How can you not believe in Jesus? And they, 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 they get that, bow, that Bible beating attitude thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? Their zeal is correct. 
Well, so was Peter's zeal when he wanted to protect Jesus, but he also cut someone's ear off in the process. Zeal can be very misdirected. But what he's saying here is there is patience. We need faith, faithful people to emulate. We want to follow after those who are following Christ, but we also must be willing to suffer quietly as our Savior did. I don't need to remind you that our Savior, when he was on that cross, 1 Peter 2 tells us he did so without any reviling back. Man, these smartphones get us in trouble, amen? Keyboard warriors unite. My biggest pet sin right now is reading the comment section of any article that I disagree with because it just gets me riled up. Facebook posts that are opposite of my view. Oh, it takes everything in my mind to click away, throw my phone down, and walk away. People who post things, these things on Facebook, I'll put on my pastor hat with this, post those things. If you share this 10 times, God's gonna bless you and give you $10,000. Stop it, stop it, please stop it. We all have something, and I wanna tell you something. As you grow in your faith, you're gonna have patience with people and situations, and that comes sometimes when you are suffering for your faith. We need to silently suffer and know that God sees and not to fire back every opportunity we have. There's a place to stand boldly, there's a place to stand like a rock, a light in a dark place, and you will catch flack for Jesus. But I wanna tell you, the battle belongs to the Lord, amen? And these believers, they were influenced with the world, with the gospel, and, and, and you need to know that if you're gonna walk with Christ, you will suffer for the gospel every time it comes up. Friends, this morning, are these seven signs in your life? Do you know the work of God in your life? the love of God? Do you have diligence to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Do you have assurance, a full hope that you're in him until the end There's perseverance? Is your faith growing even when it's sluggish? Is your, is your trajectory past the sluggishness even in the, the desert times? And do you have patience to emulate those around you and to walk triumphantly with Christ as you wait to inherit the promises? of Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you we're so glad you're here. But if you do not know Jesus Christ, the Bible says you've sinned, you've fallen short. Teresa, no, or, uh, Teresa, excuse me, not Teresa. Tally knows it. Tally came to our house yesterday, and I don't think we heard any of those words out of her mouth for three hours. Bless her. But she, Tally gets loud when we talk about the gospel. If you notice a pattern, Julie, it's a thing, I'm telling you, and it's fine. It doesn't bother me. But she loves to hear the old, old story. And that is that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. If you're here today and you don't know for sure if you died where you'd go, please talk to us. We love you all so much. We pray with me this morning as we close out. Fathers, we come to you as we come before you. Lord, we are grateful that you give us all that we need for life and godliness in Christ. Father, we thank you for the, the promises here. We thank you that these are those found in those who know Christ. May it be so. Lord, I thank you on this day that we are reminded of the fact that you don't let us go, that if we're truly in you, we may doubt it, we may stumble over it at times, but if we're truly repentant, we've truly come to know Christ, that you're working in us even when we can't see it. Father, just like the song we have sung right previous to the sermon, that you, God works in mysterious ways, wonders to behold. Father, we thank you that at times when we don't see your hand working, your good hand, your good spirit is sovereignly, providentially, 
and eternally making us more like the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we continue on in this book of Hebrews, may you reassure us this morning. As we sing this last song, the Revelation song, may you be blessed. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.